0: It's easy to be uh, judgmental and negative toward others. This uh, verse, Matthew 7-1, or part of it, is probably the best known verse by people today, especially those that don't know anything else about the Bible. Judge not. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not? They may not can say where that came from, but most people in America, it seems like they know that phrase. It's also perhaps not only the best known, but maybe the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. As I mentioned, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon of Jesus we have recorded in the uh, the New Testament. It's describing, the sermon is describing the characteristics of a true believer. And Jesus is saying throughout this sermon that God is interested in the heart. And when those people like we today tended to think that Uh, devotion to the Lord was only determined by external actions, what you did, what other people saw in your life. Jesus is stressing here that it's in the heart. And yes, the actions follow, but the heart is where it begins. So he's drawing the contrast between what the people were taught in that day by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and others who placed all their emphasis on external religion. That's why he's covered such uh, ideas earlier in the sermon like murder, that it's not just outward, it's also you can commit it in your heart. Um, But beginning in this section of the sermon, this last chapter, chapter 7, he's saying now he's going to focus on certain things that can hinder uh, Christian service, such as anxiety. He's going to talk about worry. Uh, He talks about concerns about money, finances. And here he mentions another area that can ruin your witness and and neutralize your witness to other people, and that's a harsh, judgmental attitude. I think we can probably all relate to that, having been on the delivering end or the receiving end of that. It's possible to stand for what is true and right, but do it in the wrong way. Uh, Wayne Herring was here a few months ago. He spoke at our missions conference in February, and he preached on that Wednesday I forgot the particular date uh, he preached here. I remember Wayne telling me uh, some time ago that as a young pastor, he stood up, and in the Presbyterian Church, we have these uh, regional meetings made up of representatives from the churches in that area, the Presbyterian churches, and they're called presbytery meetings. Well, anyway, he had been at one of those meetings with these other pastors and officers from these churches, and he had stood up and he said something about some issue. He didn't even tell us what the issue was. That wasn't important. It's just that when he sat down, an older, godly man spoke to him later and said, Young man, when you speak, there's a lot of heat, but not much light. And sometimes we can, uh, we can speak and there'll be a lot of heat, but there's not a lot of light there. Uh, when I was in a seminary, we would go out on Sundays and preach in small churches that did not have pastors. They would contact the seminary and say, Hey, we, you know, we're, a, we're a small church out in the, uh, in the country, and do you, can you send a student to preach for us on Sunday? And so the story was told, and honestly, I, I don't know if it's true, but it was kind of a legendary story, that a, that a student went out to preach at a certain church, and he preached on the subject of hell. And the next week, another a different student went out to the same church and unaware of what the student the previous week had preached on, he preached a sermon on hell. Well, the the representative from the church contacted the seminary later and said they wanted the second young man to be their preacher on a regular basis. And uh, when asked why, they said, well, he preached about hell as though he didn't want us to go there. You and I can stand for biblical truth and and do it with the wrong attitude if we don't understand part of what Christ is is saying here. So in verses 1 and 2, he just says simply, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This, uh, I mentioned this has been misunderstood. I think it's misunderstood by those who have suggested that Believers, those who claim to follow Christ, are never to evaluate anything. We're never to criticize anyone for anything. Uh, Now, that's very convenient today because our day hates absolutes, especially absolutes about God or moral absolutes. And so this very simplistic interpretation is very convenient. It's a convenient escape from confrontation and accountability. Um. And many today just prefer to speak of uh, morality, like love, compromise, unity, and they would say those are the only doctrines worth defending—love, compromise, and unity. And therefore, if you hold strong convictions and speak up, then you're seen as a troublemaker. Uh, but if you look, if you look back at the history of civilization and the church, and especially when there were times of spiritual and moral reformation and transformation, there was always confrontation and conflict. It was always there. Uh, If you read about the prophets in the Old Testament, they were never invited back a second time. (laughs) and They usually weren't invited the first time. Uh, They were always resisted, and often by those who claimed to be God's own people. If you go back to our history, Protestants, to the Protestant Reformation a few hundred years ago, uh, our forefathers in the faith uh, had strong convictions and uh, very theological and principled. And so we are to use critical powers. We're to, to discern between truth and error and what's good and evil. In fact, in this same sermon by Jesus, much of Christ's teaching in the sermon assumes we will use our critical powers to evaluate things. Look at verses 15 through 20. Well, just 15, same chapter. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. What's he saying? Evaluate. So if back in verse 1, if, if, it, if, if do not judge means don't evaluate, then then there's a great inconsistency just a few verses later when he's saying you should look at the fruit of a person's life and evaluate what they're teaching. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Test everything. Hold on to what is good. 1 John chapter 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There was a great Russian novelist, Leo Tolstoy, and he would use this passage to say that Jesus condemned courts of law, that courts of law should not exist because of this passage. And so my point there is that uh, that's a misunderstanding if we arrive at such conclusion. So what is being said, though? If it's a misunderstanding to say do not judge means don't evaluate anything and don't pass judgment on anything, Well, what does it mean? I understand this to mean do not judge harshly. Don't be a fault finder. Don't be a person that assumes the worst and immediately is always critical of everything. The Bible tells you and me, if we claim to be believers in Christ, that we're to judge ourselves. We're to do that on certain occasions. We're to do that before we receive the Lord's Supper. We're to examine ourselves. We're told generally we're to examine ourselves to see if we're of the faith. Now, we don't have to do that every hour of every day. As, a, as an older pastor told me when I was young, he said, you know, don't be like the farmer who planted a seed and then each day goes out and digs it up and sees if it's growing or not. You know, but there does come time that you evaluate, but it doesn't have to be every day. So we are to judge ourselves, but we're not to sit in the judgment seat and speak evil of our brother." We're not to assume the worst in people. We're not to impute motives. Uh, if somebody ever asked me, uh, "What's my advice to younger pastors?" Nobody's ever asked that, but if they did, I would say, "Don't impute motives." Uh, I can watch, I can see that person got up, and maybe a person gets up and leaves, but I have no idea why. Did the person feel bad? Did the person get a phone call? Did the per, was the person angry at what was? Sitting? You know, who knows? And I think when we start imputing motives, we're we're Moving into an area, we don't know. We, we can know why, we can know what somebody does, but rarely do we ever know why. Do you even know why you do things? <laughs> I don't even know why I do them. Much less can I know why somebody else would do them. Uh, a condemning person assumes the worst motives in others. Uh, he or she is very ungenerous towards the mistakes of others. But we are not God. And Christ is condemning a fault-finding spirit a readiness, a quickness to blame others for small offenses, a passing of hasty judgments, a disposition that magnifies the faults of others and minimizes our own. This was common among the Pharisees. So he's condemning here, Jesus is condemning the, the tendency, which I think we all have the capacity, the tendency to see the faults of our neighbors while overlooking our own. And that's going to come out in a moment as we look at the next couple of verses. So, to sum up, the command to judge not is not a requirement to put our heads in the sand, but it's a plea to be gracious and generous. So, he doesn't tell us to cease to be people um, who can evaluate, but we're not to put ourselves in, the, in God's position to where we think we know the ultimate answer of other people's hearts. And then he says, don't do this or you too will be judged. Judge by whom? What did Jesus mean? Well, I think there's several answers. First, by others. Uh, if we presume to judge others, we may expect to be judged ourselves. Usually it's the harsh person that's going to receive harshest condemnation by other people. None are more criticized than those who criticize others. If you throw stones at others, most likely those stones will come back at you. Rarely is mercy shown to someone who has not shown mercy to other people. And we can expect to receive harsh criticism from others, probably to the level that we dish it out to them. Now, that's the underlying theme of many movies, isn't it, <laughs> Barb and I? I'll say sometimes, you know, when you're watching a TV show or a movie and there's a real, real bad person who mistreats others, We know, that person's gone before the end of this show. It's just, a, you know, they're they're priming the audience so that we'll feel some kind of vindication when it happens. Uh, well, also, I think he's warning, don't judge or you'll be judged not only by others but by the Lord. Um, Verse 2 says, if we judge others, we'll be judged by the law of retaliation. Romans 2.1 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And so God in his judgment judgments often observes a rule of proportion. Now this is a uh, in the Old Testament, and when Christ referenced about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was a law of equity, a law of proportion. And if you understand that correctly, often that's presented like it was extremely harsh. But here is what it was trying to prevent. If someone knocked your tooth out, what would be your response? To break the person's face. If someone knocked your eye out, the response typically would be to kill the person, and so the law of equity was any reciprocation should be equal. Now, um, that so it, it's more humane, it's more just because typically any retaliation exceeds what the first blow delivered. So in Romans, I mean sorry, in Revelation eighteen. God observes a rule of proportion, give back to her as she has given, pay her back double for what she has done. What will we do if God rises up and judges us the way that we have judged others? You ever see a dollar bill that's got someone's mark on it? You know, they put a little thing and maybe y'all do that, I don't know. And they're trying to see if it comes back to them. They're trying to say, I spent this dollar in this city, I want to see if I ever get it. So I'm going to, you know, put my initials on it or something like that. Um, judgment always comes back to you. It always will. Harsh condemnation of others will always come back to you. It's like a boomerang, and it comes back to the one who dishes it out to others. Now, uh, that's the first reason we're not to harshly condemn, we're not to judge others, is because we'll bring it on ourselves. Secondly, he says don't judge others because it's hypocritical. Why do you, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Um, we probably all have a natural tendency to focus on the faults of others, but along with that is the tendency to ignore our own. It's, maybe it's just natural. The fall is made us sinners. So we're not in a position to give ultimate judgment to our fellow sinners. Now, he gives this picture that's, that I think was intended to be uh, a, a slightly humorous. And it's the idea of looking at the speck in your brother's eye while there's this log in your own. I saw a drawing of this once. I saw a Christian cartoon. And it has this person like with a railroad tie you know, right, coming across their face. And they are trying to point out a tiny little speck in this other person's, person's eye. Um... And the point, what's, what Jesus's point here is that you and I have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and to minimize the gravity of our own sin. And I think most of us find it impossible when comparing ourselves to others to be completely objective and completely impartial. Because regardless of who we are...